The Daniel White Show is proudly sponsored by Hybrid Coffee. And when we say we're proud, we're really, really proud. Because not only does Hybrid Coffee specialize in cold brew that's less bitter and has more antioxidants, twice the caffeine, and lower sugar than your average cup of joe, every can you purchase helps support families that make the coffee industry possible. That means giving back to 3,600 members across 65,000 acres of Colombian coffee farms to help them achieve greater profitability with less environmental impact on the planet. So don't just drink cold brew, drink high brew. Go to www.highbrewcoffee.com, use promo code DWBREW20 for 20% off your order of a 12 pack and get cold brew that doesn't taste better, but does better. Ship directly to your door. Welcome to another episode of the Daniel White Show. Today we have a amazing special guest with us today. It's James Gilmore. What's up, James? Hey, man. James is a lot of things. Um, we're here talking about jazz and music, but I didn't know he taught English to kids overseas, um, which is phenomenal. And um, he's an all-around badass. And we were, uh-huh. shoot, we were shooting the crap today, and he went on. For, we went for a walk today, which is sick, you know. I did go for a walk because the COVID times and people are not really together doing things, so we're kind of all coping the best way we can. <laughs> yeah, we're doing our best. We're on Zoom. Daniel is very backlit. I cannot see him at all. Yo, I want to. Well, no one can see this yet. I want to start video one day. But James looks like he does this all the time. And I look like I'm a guest on his show. So this is quite embarrassing <laughs> on my end. Not at all. Oh, but no, I want to talk about how we met. Because we met through, you hit me up for photos, right? Was that the first time we met? Yeah, yeah I needed some photos done. And um, I posted on Facebook who takes good pictures in Greensboro. And Anne Claire Niver just said, Daniel White and that the rest is history shout out to ann claire i haven't seen her in a long time she's in durham right she is in durham uh yeah yes cardboard Durham, whatever um yeah. shout out to her for that and it was great meeting you i love that photo those photos were phenomenal i still love looking at those photos they are, they're great photos um you're a great photographer um do do you get a lot of people on the podcast that you've taken pictures of i'm sure you do you know what honestly on the daniel white show not really um there's been a handful but this is also a very new podcast, a newer than the free, than free pizza. Um, there's been a, there's been a handful of them, but um, yeah, not a lot. Well, you take amazing pictures. I love your pictures, and I don't often like pictures of myself. <laughs> and I've noticed in your pictures that, um, like when you're taking my picture, I feel I feel good. I feel like someone who should have their picture taken. You know, I think that's a a rare talent in a photographer. So making people feel comfortable is very hard. So that's uh, very nice for you to say. I can't do it. <laughs> oh my gosh! But yes, that's how me and James met, and we've connected, stayed connected over to over, I guess, a couple of years because that was a couple of years ago we took your photos. Yeah, that was in 2018. Yeah, yeah, you've taken some very special pictures. You've taken some pictures of my wife and I. We yes. recreated our wedding, and Emily wore her wedding dress, and I wore my suit. And you took pictures of us in the arboretum. That was really awesome. Absolutely. You also took pictures of 
um, us in the studio, James Gilmore Trio in the studio recording our record, which I don't know how much you want to talk about that tonight. Yes, but, I um, do. So hold that thought. Yeah. But I would say before we jump to this interview, people were very mad at me for those photos of you and Emily because I don't do weddings. So people were like, wait a minute, what's this? I'm like, hold on. No, no, no. This was not a wedding. I took photos of a recreation of them together, them being married. There was, this wasn't, I was not at a wedding. <laughs> oh, wow, man. You, I didn't know that there was that added element that you, you took a little risk there. I did. Well, it was, it was still a portrait session. So I didn't really count it as like a wedding, but like people saw those and were very confused and very offended. You're, you're flirting with disaster. Right there. <laughs> yeah, you don't, don't want to be a wedding photographer. No, not at all. But a portrait photographer I am. So it, that worked. Um, but yes, but before we get into it, talk about your journey through music, I did not warn you. I didn't, uh, we're not worried. Yeah, I didn't warn you of this, but I do have icebreaker questions that I want to ask. Okay. Uh-oh. And you're going to choose the deck. Okay. So I have the big talk card and these are, um, a little deeper questions than the other ones. Um, I have, uh, reflection cards and then I have a green pack. So you can choose which pack we're doing. Mm, I don't know the difference between any of the packs, so um, you can pick for me. Okay, you know what? I'm gonna do a reflection card because I never get to do these, and these were a gift. So I want to do these. So just out of curiosity, what are the differences between the three packs? Let's see. The big talk card. Um, they're usually a little bit deeper than the the other sets I have. Like they kind of. They're kind of conversations. I could probably do a podcast just on these questions, <laughs> honestly. Um, so that's the big talk. And the chat pack is just like f stuff for like quick questions for family road trips and shit. So kids aren't just on their phones all the time and stuff. You know, something to get the family bonding on trips and stuff. And the reflection card is just like you say, a deck of questions for meaningful conversation and reflection. So maybe similar to the big talk, but not as deep. Um, that, sounds that sounds like where I'm at. Yeah, yeah, let's do That's that. That's a good deck for me. Let's do that. Let's see what we got here. So I haven't seen these questions either. So we got to answer them truthfully. <clears throat> Who is the most resilient person you know and what makes them resilient? Oh, well, my answer is going to be boring. It's my mom. Gosh. <laughs> Who doesn't say their mom, you know? Yes. Right? <laughs> Who's the most resilient person you know? Gosh, dude. Honestly... I would say my dad's a little bit more resilient than my mom is because my wow. dad's just so stuck completely in his ways. Gotcha. Um, kind of still a boring answer, but it's just the truth. It's, my dad's it is, it's very frustrating sometimes. I love him to death. Obviously, he's my dad, but he is extremely resilient. Yeah, well, my mom, um, I won't go through. Let's just say that she had a difficult time with my dad early in their marriage because my dad and I share... I'll just call it the Irish curse. You can Google it, mm -hmm. um, find out what I'm talking about. But so they had a difficult time early when they were married. And then, you know, she had a difficult time with me when I was a teenager. And then her mother and then my father died in 2001 within three weeks of each other. And uh, through that all, she kept uh, body and mind together. And she's still one of the happiest and uh, best adjusted people that I know. So really got to be my mom, dude. Shout out to moms. Yeah, moms everywhere. Shout out to my dad too. My dad's very he's, he's a he's a badass, but he's very yeah, 
Absolutely. Hell yeah, dude. So let's jump into this interview. So like I said before, James is an incredible jazz musician. Um, you play guitar mostly. I play guitar exclusively. I don't know that I play. I wouldn't say I play anything else, actually. So no bass at all? No, You don't dabble in anything else? Um, I'll, I'll put some bass, like if I'm making um, a track. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, that's like a simple something. I'll, I'll play some bass. I've taught some kids ukulele. Um, you know, I when I like make a track in logic or something, I'll use a keyboard, but as a musician making music, yeah, I'm just a guitar player. Okay. And an incredible one at that. You actually sent me a, a track of you. That was kind of a, got me off guard today. Of you straight up riffing, <laughs> like, uh, like yeah, metal riffing, in life, man, in a formal life. Actually, if I can screen share at some point during the podcast, I'll show you a picture of me in a, cut off metal tee from 2010 with hair down to my waist it's a pretty funny picture dude i need you to send me that photo asap so yes you can definitely do that for sure okay i'll do it while we're talking oh my god yes it's gonna get me off guard i'm gonna bust out laughing um but yes it does go back i want to i want to i want to talk about your intro to music and was it jazz initially like what kind of got your, your your interest in it oh man i don't know i mean who who's introduced to music you know i mean it's uh it's hard to even think about but um uh my early memories of music you know i'm very lucky we talked about moms and dads and you know my mom sang to me that's probably my um my first musical experience yes and my mom played the piano did your mom sing to you um not dad? my dad did sing my dad actually is a very has a very good voice he never really used it for for anything other than like karaoke but he actually had a very good voice that's you know it's really important i don't think people talk about it very much but when you sing to kids or when you just expose them to music but especially singing and when you have them sing, it does really amazing things down the line. Like oh. even at age, you might think it's not that big of a deal, but when I work with people like uh, teaching guitar lessons or whatever, when people have difficulty with pitch or like just hearing tonality, a lot of times those people have never sung. Wow. Or they weren't sung too, or they just don't have that early exposure to music and that immersion in it. So it's really, really huge. Dude, and, that's... Uh, I don't know. I just when I think about like what's my um my most secure happiest memory is probably my mom singing to me. But in terms of like jazz, I don't know. I mean, it's I could say a couple things. I could say my grandpa was a. It, it's kind of an understatement to say that he is a jazz fan because he has um he has every note recorded by two artists, right? So there's two composers slash musicians that are his kind of pinnacle of what music can be and one is mozart so mm-hmm. if you, when i used to go to his house in massachusetts he had a wall that was the complete mozart and he had another wall that was the complete lester young do you know who lester young is i've heard the name but i'm not familiar with the music lester young is um a real titan of the saxophone right oh. so he's top five for sure one of the very greatest like maybe after charlie parker like lester young is like right up there in contention for one of the greatest players or improvisers ever so he had every note ever recorded by lester young oh my god when i got into guitar um and i was playing in you know in school they just that's what they teach you they teach you jazz i'm not 100 percent sure why but like so 
I was in jazz band in school and he started sending me just every month like a cassette tape of like Lester Young, lots of other people, but lots of Lester Young. So that got me early on into Duke Ellington, Count Basie, like old stuff. Oh, and yes. I would sit in my room on a school night. Um, I don't remember doing homework in high school. <laughs> I know I did. I mean, I know I did some. Because I, you know, I graduated. Do you remember doing homework in high school? It's funny you say that because I was talking to a friend probably a couple weeks ago about that exact thing. I don't remember studying. I don't remember doing homework. I don't remember studying, man. I remember copying some homework. I don't remember yes. doing any homework. No. And um, I would sit in my room and like uh, sometimes I would drink a little gin. You know, neither of my parents drank. But <laughs> I would sit in my room and drink a uh, drink and like listen to. Uh, listen to jazz listen to Lester Young and all this like a uh, kind of cocktail jazz that my grandpa would send me he was oh. probably doing the same thing on the other end of the mail in Massachusetts he also had a little room in the basement where he liked to sit and drink uh, Canadian whiskey and listen to music so dude that's sick so what about jazz back then I guess really intrigued you was it just the whole mood the instruments just overall how it sounded like what, 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 what brought you that's in? That's a complex question. That's a complex question because it's not one kind of music, mm. right? It's not one thing and one appeal. So it's kind of two different things. When I first got into it, um, again, this, this is all stuff that my grandpa's into. And I actually have a lot of my grandpa's records. He's, you know, dead and gone now, but he gave me a bunch of records and they're really hip records. So I have like a, you know, very early pressing giant steps you know Ooh. soul train sunny rollins charles mingus all these like really sort of you know choice nugs so he got all that stuff he was into it he knew about it it wasn't the stuff that he was sending me early on or that we talked about he sent me um lester young count basie basically stuff that he listened to when he was a, a gi right in world war ii he would go on leave and he would never go home. He was from, I think he was from West Newbury, Massachusetts, but he would never go home. He would go to Kansas City or St. Louis, wherever the band was, and he would just go to listen. He was like an early music nerd, right? He wasn't dancing. He was like just going to check out the music. So I think he like just emotionally connected with that experience. So the stuff that he would send me were called kind of like, the great American songbook and the good life, you know, and drinking and uh, <laughs> just what he remembered from being like in his twenties. And um, he was stationed in a, is it okay if I talk about my grandpa's isn't about me at all? No, please. This is part of your life. So he was, uh, he was stationed on a tiny coral atoll in the middle of the Pacific ocean. Didn't even have a name. And a lot of people don't believe me when I say this, but he never fired a weapon. Oh, wow. So he went through his entire life without firing a weapon, including the army, because he didn't complete basic training because they, there was some kind of rush for people to operate radios, which is what he was doing. So he just sat on this tiny piece of coral in the middle of the ocean, relaying radio messages and cleaning bird shit off this huge radio transmitter and playing poker. And that's what he did for like four years. No way. Two never fired a gun and he would come home go to these um cities where the bands were so the kind of stuff that he was sending me was either old stuff like that or new stuff that was like um kind of buddies of his 
that um, kind of evoked that for him. So there was one guitarist in particular, one of the first um, guitar solos I learned actually, a guy from uh, New England called Gray Sargent, no one who is listening to this is ever going to have heard of him but he's now he's tony bennett's guitarist now he got like a better job oh yes a great guitar player so this was like not like if i took these cds you know if i was in durham a few years ago and we're all like talking about what we're listening to and i was like hey everybody how about this gray sergeant and dave mckenna cd it would not it's not stuff that people certainly not like kids that are in jazz school it's not hip stuff that they're gonna listen to but that's what i was listening to drinking whiskey and then um so i get into high school and jazz band and prior to getting into high school i listened to the same you know i won't say that it's all garbage but i mean like i listened to guns and roses and aerosmith you yeah know, maybe some nirvana in there but it was not not the hippest music whatever was top 40 you gotta understand also i'm from maine so i'm from maine and i'm old i'm <laughs> i'm turning 41 on saturday now are you really yeah man i don't not happy about it so you like looks, you look I'm, great thank you thank you so much so i grew up without the internet and like the nearest record store was literally 30 miles away wow so I might go there a couple of times a year. So I had to, to get my music, I, this is, <laughs> I would take a microphone like this microphone and I would hold it up to my clock radio. <laughs> and I would record like Red Hot Chili Peppers onto a cassette tape from Fox 104.7. So I didn't have music, right? I mean, I didn't, no, there was no jazz record store on Mount Desert Island, Maine, right? I'm literally from an island in right. Eastern Maine. So I had what my grandpa sent me. When I got into um, high school and I got into jazz band, it was like a big deal, you know? And I didn't think that I was, I could really play guitar at all. I just had like, you know, they give you a lead sheet to learn like a melody and some chords. And they're like, go learn this and then play it for like a tryout. So I like went to tryout for jazz band and I I just played the chords and I was like, well, this isn't very special. I'm just playing the chords. Right. But they're like, wow, this is amazing. You know, he he can really play those chords. So I was in first jazz band. It was a really big deal. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, OK, cool. I guess I'm into jazz now. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't. Whatever. It was, you know, they had jazz band. I was in jazz band. And um, there was actually like some kids that were a little older and cooler than me that kind of introduced me to better music right so i think the first time anyone mentioned john coltrane i was in like a freshman in high school with a bunch of other band geeks and they were just talking about what they're into so that got me into just different stuff um uh like you know love supreme kind yes. of blue round about midnight miles davis john coltrane that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. then eventually on and on Sonny Rollins and you know I could keep talking about that stuff but that was my introduction to it dude that's incredible it's funny and not a lot of people know this but I was in jazz band pretty much all throughout middle school and jazz no, camp and all that what was your instrument um I played xylophone get out man yeah yeah not Five. that's <laughs> that's a very very rare secret and no one really knows at all so yeah I would definitely no, I true, love jazz band. 
Dude, vibes. Wait, okay. So, did you call it xylophone or did you call it vibes? Is that the same instrument? I called it xylophone. I never heard of it being called vibes. Was there a thing that spun? No. There wasn't a motorized thing that was spinning on the inside of it. No, it was just like a wooden. I got you. Yeah, wouldn't I have mallets and stuff? I don't. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't vibes. That's that's crazy. I gotta look that up. I never heard of that. Oh, dude, vibes are hip. We gotta play sometime. Dude, I haven't played xylophone in probably since middle school, <laughs> but we could definitely do something. <laughs> oh, for sure, dude. That's incredible. So it's crazy that you got in a jazz band without hearing of the John the John Coltrane's and the Miles Davises and all that. You know, which is not a bad thing. You heard, I guess, more underground stuff, which is still sick. Um, so how was it? Well, when- I mean. I, I don't know why it's an interesting story, but somehow um, jazz music, right, which is this. Um, it's not like the people that created this music were like, oh, I can't wait to teach this in school. Yeah. You know, that wasn't <laughs> the vibe at all. And somehow through some probably pretty nefarious process this wound up becoming sort of synonymous with music pedagogy right Right. i don't know why you can't just go to uncg and learn like pop like you can at berkeley or something like i mean i love this music very much it's it's weird that it has been institutionalized to the extent that it has such that my 15 year old self right or 14 year old self whatever like if i was going to join a school band it was going to be a jazz band and there's all kinds of things we could talk about related to that but um it's a it's a it's a big topic yes so i just joined that that's what they did at school right i wanted to play guitar in school and that's what that's what they that's what they had which is jazz to be honest with you and um not to denigrate what i was doing we actually had good music teachers and you know i loved being in the jazz band it had very little to do with the kind of music that I not only make today, but that I started really started learning how to play when I moved to Durham, really not that long ago. They're not really the same thing at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not at all, dude. Holy yeah. crap. So how was you tell us run through your experience within the, the jazz band and we can, uh, you know, move on to your life here. It was great. Um, I, um, man, I, uh, we, we like won competitions and stuff that was pretty cool um i don't really know i mean i learned lots of chords reading like big band charts um my dad would always complain that when it was time for me to take a solo Mm -hmm. i would like had my amp turned down really low because i like hated the way i sounded i didn't want anyone to hear me (laughs) oh no (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like even when i had like a solo because you know it was pretty good the music teacher like me gave me solos and stuff but when it was time for me to play a solo i was i was really quiet and um so it was we i don't know it was weird i um i learned a lot about how to play chords and voicings and stuff and we got to go on trips you know we drank beer in hotel rooms it was it was great yeah yeah i know a big part of jazz um is improving were you uh how were you on that because i remember when i was in jazz band that used to scare the crap out of me because the way it was working the way it worked out with us is that he would 
obviously we, we lined up in a line of different instruments and he would point for you for obviously your set of bars that you improvise and then he would go to the next person and point to you and then it would get very quiet around you and like you get very nervous at least, at least i would how was that for you did they do that at all there um it's funny that you mentioned that the first time it was time for me to take a solo it was just like that right i'd been told ahead of time like this is your solo this part of gotcha. the song yeah and i didn't play anything <laughs> it was like 16 bars of absolutely nothing i was like i don't have a solo yet check back again next week and he's like hey, it was that it wasn't even that weird right this is like the first or second jazz band rehearsal so um and then next week i had a solo <laughs> and i went home and came up with one and uh, no one ever taught me how to improvise Dude, and that. i didn't i consider myself a smart person but maybe i shouldn't because it never occurred to me i was 22 or so before i learned a guitar solo from a record yes which is how you learn to improvise absolutely and i see i did not get that training at all so that's hilarious every time i did it i just played whatever and i know it sounded terrible but my family clapped anyway so it's whatever word yeah man you you've got a good dad you, i know what's up my you know and yes. like when you think about learning like when you think about learning how to take pictures right yeah, yeah. it didn't take five minutes you yeah. know there's a lot of mistakes in there and i'm sure that as with anything you just learn to enjoy the process of learning how to do it so it, improvising it's not the kind of thing where i, I gotta improvise for jazz band next week i better learn how to improvise i mean it takes for fucking ever it's really hard yes it you know? freaking and you're is. gonna sound like shit like for frankly i think i still sound like shit most of the time you know like increasingly here and there I do something that I don't dislike, you know, that's like the most I can say for my <laughs> progress as an improviser, but like, it's really hard. It takes forever. And you've got to like, you've got to copy. Yes. A lot. Absolutely. You know? I don't think people really, I don't, anyway, like I didn't get that when I was 15, but anyway, I made up a solo. It was okay. I think it like, I got like a certificate that one of the, comp I don't know it, people <laughs> liked it. They told me it was good shout out to james everyone was like hell yeah superstar yeah man and um and you know i got i i was like in the universe of mount desert island high school i was like a good guitar player yeah but i didn't i mean i didn't have um again thinking about what i was doing back then i was like here are the core here are the chords and here are the notes in the chords and here are the scales that go with those notes and those chords and i thought that's what that was like your ticket you know like yeah. once you got that you know a little elbow grease and you're cooking i mean i had really no idea how to start um that's not a bad place to start but it's sort of like the bare minimum scaffold on which to build but that was more than a lot of the kids in the band even <laughs> even knew i remember I, like at one point i taught a trumpet player um how like he's like how do i how do i make up a solo and I was like, well, let's just go through the chords. Here are the notes in the chords. Mm -hmm. he's like, oh, this is amazing. So if I just play these notes, <laughs> these chords and yeah, yeah. He, and he wrote he, same thing. He wrote a solo and then he would just play the same thing every time. Hey, screw it. As long as you have a good time. <laughs> That's incredible, man. So how was it with you? Like, obviously during those performances, you had to 
you know, work with other artists and get along with other people and all that. So was that pretty easy for you? Uh, at what point? Like when? Um, I guess throughout, because you have obviously, I, are they called recitals, I guess? I don't know. Obviously, you were practicing with other people. And before that, you didn't weren't you weren't really in any any bands with other anyone else, right? You were just doing your own thing. Yeah, so I, I don't know I picked up guitar in like eighth grade, I guess. And, yeah, um, and then like a, whatever a year or two later, like maybe two years later, you were in jazz band. So how was yeah. it? I guess working with a bass player, working with a guitar player, working with a drummer. Like how was it collaborating with other artists? Um, my best friend was the drummer. Um, nice. We fought all the time. <laughs> of course. Like, I was like, you're pushing, you're pushing. I mean, I don't know. I was an asshole. I was an idiot. You know, when I like, when I encounter like a, a teenager who's like an entitled, annoying pain in the ass, I always have to remember like, that's, that's you and probably your kid too. So you should be, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just a, I mean, I was, um, in terms of how was, what was it like to play music with me? I don't know. I mean, I was, uh, not like I am now, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Growth, growth. Yeah. Hell yeah. So obviously uh, playing jazz grew on you as you went through that whole you know high school thing. And obviously you're still doing it. But what was the move after the high school? Did you go to school for music? I did not. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that then. So how were I you? Never, able- I, never went, I didn't go to music school ever. Ever. So after high school, that was pretty much it as far as an edu- education was. Uh, yes and no. I actually have a little... Um, I wrote some notes. I'm cheating a little bit. Oh, you good? You good? But like, um, I went to a couple camps that were really good camps, and like some people that are like jazz famous people went to these camps. So those were actually really good Ooh. in terms, of like the people that went to them. I got to play with some really great musicians. But um, yeah, after high school, I kind of flirted with the idea of going to art school. So I was also really into like visual arts and um. I didn't. I wound up going to this kind of weird college in Maryland that my dad went to where it was. Um, I don't want to talk about the college too much. It's kind of complicated to describe what it is, but it's um, it's called St. John's College mm-hmm. and it was Annapolis, Maryland. And um, like uh, the degree that I got was in um, literature and the history and ph- literature and philosophy, basically, and like history of philosophy. So it was all very academic, very different um, from what my outward interests had been up to that point. Right, right. So, and, and then after that, I got a PhD in philosophy. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, it's very like a fourteen-year <laughs> sandwich filling <laughs> to the music. So, was there any gaps? Are you playing music in between all that, or did you kind of oh. keep playing? Oh yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, so I went to I went to college, and I don't know, man. It was weird. I underwent this change where suddenly getting good grades was really important to me. Okay, that's a good thing. Entirely new experience. So I was like, yeah, I was like a straight A student in college, and then it was important. I don't know, man. Maybe it's all the same thing. Maybe I just pick things that are really hard that I can't really do, and just throw myself at them relentlessly. <laughs> Um, as a form of self-punishment but yeah and then I went to um it was really important to like do smart stuff you know and like be as smart as I could be and Mm -hmm. so after I got done at that college I um, applied to uh, 
graduate school at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. And one of the reasons I applied is I was living with my girlfriend right after college and, um, you know, Baltimore is 20 miles north of Annapolis. And mm-hmm. then I went to Johns Hopkins for, lived in Baltimore for eight years and got my um, PhD in uh, 2013. Wow. In, so you, in philosophy. you were killing the game back then. You were busy as heck. Uh, no, I was not killing any kind of game. <laughs> that's whatever, however you should describe it. That's not the way. <laughs> no, but you were on it though. I mean, straight days, you got your, all your, all your, are your studies were crazy? That's sick. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I didn't. I didn't get straight. I mean, I did. I struggled in graduate school because my preparation wasn't like the other people that I was in there with. Like I said, it's sort of a hallmark of my story that I pick things that are totally over my head. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna do this, and then I kind of don't do it. <laughs> but you, you, you attempt kind of. Yeah, yeah, dude. Heck yeah. I'm just a masochist. I don't know what it is. I mean. And then when I got done uh, with my philosophy PhD, uh, you know, it was really hard to get a job. There's like very few jobs, really no jobs for um, that credential. The only thing you can do with it is is teach. So I just, um, I think I went to one interview and the interview is at the college that I went to and they hated me. (laughs) That is the biggest water I've ever seen. Are you drinking an actual entire what? Are you the Hulk? How big is that? All day. This is sixty-four <laughs> ounces, I think. Okay, so it's not. Maybe it was. The, it's a gallon. Um, perspective. Yeah, it looked like an entire water cooler. I was like, "Wow, that's boss." <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, man. And then I, I, so I didn't get a job with the PhD. I'm, you know, I finished it, whatever. But, um. Yeah, and then I was like, I think I'm going to be a jazz musician after this because I have this. There's no money in philosophy, so maybe I better do music instead. So <laughs> you can see a pattern. It's just it's totally difficult, you know. And it would be one thing if I was like, you know, this amazing musician, right? Which you in are. Some respects, in some respects, back then, like I could do a lot of um. It's kind of kind of a tangent, but I got into guitar again at the end of my PhD, and I was playing like shred metal guitar, yes. kind of a hobby. And then I actually wound up playing in a metal band in Baltimore for a little bit. So I was actually playing some guitar. I could play a little bit. Right, right, right. I could, do, I could do some things at this point now that a lot of people can't do on the guitar and would like to be able to do. So I guess that that's good musicianship in some ways but um you know when i got interested in playing jazz and tried to do that i didn't you know i wasn't working with a lot of it wasn't an extremely promising proposition let's just put it that way i didn't have a lot of um skills in that area right i love that you said the phd the phd thing isn't working out but i could (laughs) i can make some music playing jazz (laughs) It wasn't even it was some money. It wasn't even that I could make some money. I think when I look back, you know, hey, man, I've talked about this in therapy. You know, I mean, I, why do I pick these uh, particular things to do? I think on a certain level with music, um, I don't think I've been doing it longer than I did philosophy, but it, it's kind of, 
I could always imagine not doing philosophy, right? I could like just picture a happy life that's kind of different than what I'm doing. Like I'm not in a library reading books. I could always imagine that. I can't, it's very difficult for me to imagine uh, not playing music. That's that, like the main thing that I do. See, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you kind of found, because a lot of people are searching for that, that thing that they that thing that they can't see themselves not doing you know what i'm saying that's that's awesome that you kind of found that you know doesn't mean it makes you happy oh. very very important distinction it might be oh okay it might be a component of your you know best happy life but that doesn't mean that as long as you're doing i mean that it's its own struggle sometimes i wish that i can imagine I mean, sometimes i wish like i could just go work at wells fargo or something dude me and my friend ashley who's a great artist and went since i don't think about that all the time not knocking working at wells fargo or like a desk job because some people that's it makes them very happy to do that but to only have to worry about that and go home and go to bed and be okay with that i'm very envious of that you oh, know for sure like i'm like structure routine yes 401k dental yes. you know all that good shit also um i'm sure you see a lot of you see a lot of people through your work i see people i see other musicians when i'm you know obviously less now during covid but um i do you know i spend a lot of my day like either teaching lessons or just like you know working solo and i do i totally envy like people who get to like go to an office right and like you know mm have that sort of routine structure i don't think i could do it but if i could do it i think it would feel pretty good anyway yeah absolutely i'm with you i'm 100 with you that's why being being an artist and a creative and whatever is very it sounds i mean it is fun but there's so much of it it's just like i wish i had a more simple life <laughs> but heck yeah heck yeah so obviously you find your way back into music playing some metal not necessarily jazz but metal yeah i um i got done writing a, a chapter of my dissertation and um i was kind of burnt out so i bought a guitar i didn't own an electric guitar at the time so i bought one and i just started trying to copy stuff off of youtube and then i taught myself how to play like metal guitar like you know tapping and sweeping uh, yeah Biddly, biddly, biddly. Dude. Um, yes. And uh, that's what I did. And then I just, I, eventually I found a way to record stuff and make some tracks and I put them up on Craigslist and this band found me on Craigslist. Actually, really great band. They're, they're called Questioner. <laughs> that does sound very metal. It's like a, a, a sort of a black metal, math metal band. Ooh, that sounds awesome. They were, they were good. And um, I played with them for a few months, and then I actually moved to Massachusetts. And when I moved, to, uh, I moved. I met a girl in Baltimore, and we moved to to where she was from, nice. Western Massachusetts. And when I moved up there, I don't know, man. I kind of got burnt out pretty quick on metal shows, and I played some shows with that group, and um, you know, got to play at the places in Baltimore that people played for like whatever, ten people. But when I moved to, um, <laughs> when I, I was a very serious metalhead for six or so years. Oh, wow. Right, very into 
metal. So I went to Maryland Death Fest like every year that I lived in. Oh shit! Yes. And uh, actually, to this day, one of the best live shows I've ever seen is Obituary at. Um, Dude. Death unbelievable live. riffs and riffs and riffs and riffs but um when i move you know metal shows are full of just boys 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 you know and they um they smell bad and like um i don't know it's not a uh it's not a nourishing vibe for the soul necessarily so when i moved to massachusetts i just kind of pivoted to something else wow. and um, there was this place in vermont and i always get them confused but which one of them is like just over the massachusetts vermont border i think that's brattleboro okay and then burlington is like way up north in vermont by the great lakes but i think it's brattleboro so i would drive like an hour from northampton massachusetts to brattleboro to this place called the brattleboro jazz center and the people that were like me that were going there weren't super good you know, there's not, it's not like there's a deep pool of talent necessarily in Western, rural rest, Western Massachusetts, right? But the instructors were pretty good. And I got to play with them a little bit and I got to take some lessons. So blah, 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 blah. That got me back into playing jazz and I learned a lot. I'm by this time 31 or 32 years old. Okay. Right. So I've been in the basement of the Eisenhower Library at Johns Hopkins for 10 years. Oh, my God. A 200-page paper <laughs> on the early and middle dialogues of Plato and, uh, and metaphysics and ethics and whatever. Jesus. And I'm, I'm finishing it up. I'm trying to finish it up living in Western Massachusetts. And... I went to the Smith Smith College, the women's college is in Northampton. I went to the Smith Library every day. I drank two monster energy drinks. <laughs> and I wrote for six hours, like every day. And sometimes at night, I would go to the Brattleboro Jazz Center. Um, there's two, um, there's a guy named Eugene Uman, I think, or Eugene Uman, who played piano, really great piano player. And, and these were like real people. They weren't just like, you know, whoever they could find in Brattleboro to teach piano. This is like a real, a real player that sort of they got to run this center. And then there was a guitarist named Dre Hobbs who, I mean, it's not an exaggeration. I mean, he, he taught me so much information that, you know, not only am I still working on it, I'll never get to the bottom of all the harmonic information that he mm. taught. So like he's one of those guys, right? It's just like a shotgun barrage of like it's like oh you like that chord? Well, here's 500 chords that are just like that chord, but kind of different, that kind of deal. So yeah. I learned a lot about a, a real lot about the guitar from just a few lessons with him, maybe you know five, six, seven lessons. Wow! And I started. I like played at a coffee shop with a couple people, and none of us could really play super well but whatever and um and that was kind of it for massachusetts and then you know i went here i went there i didn't do philosophy anymore i was with this girl and she wanted to um can i just keep talking i'm telling you yeah. my entire life story. you're good you're good i mean this is part of your journey I, i'm good with it i'm good with it because I'm, I'm very curious 
cool. So I worked in a, um, we decided or she decided she wanted to move to North Carolina. Her best friend was the daughter of Eugene Chadbourne, who is a, a really interesting musician. I don't know if you know about you. Do you know about Eugene? I don't. I don't. He lives in Greensboro. I'll just let your listeners Google him. He lives actually a couple blocks from me and, you know, is a good friend and a really uh, cool person to know. But he was a sort of a well-known uh, kind of out there avant-garde musician. And the girl that I was with, her best friend was his youngest daughter. And they were they were going to start a business together. Oh, wow. She, and her friend so we moved to north carolina we worked in provincetown massachusetts Mm -hmm. for a summer i worked at a sushi restaurant um i was the only i think there might have been one other straight waiter i don't know if people know about provincetown at all but like um so that was kind of a it's like it's like a gay party town that sounds fun fire Fire island of massachusetts so it's any anyone who's any gay listeners to your podcast will be like, oh, sure, Provincetown, Massachusetts. So I worked there for a summer and made a bunch of money. And then we moved to North Carolina. So here I am in North Carolina. I've got like $20,000 that I made oh, waiting tables. Damn. Provincetown. Oh, yeah, it's a thing. Provincetown is insane. It, and when I say it's insane, it really is. It's like a round-the-clock gay party. I was not participating in this party, not because of uh, of the gayness just because i don't party right i don't do oh, okay yeah, yeah um and uh you know people would come to work like rolling people would come to work on heroin <laughs> oh shit oh my god <laughs> one of my buddies this this kid oh man yeah he he would come to work like on heroin like we're drunk or i mean it was just crazy man and every night was like crazy slammed the most crazy stressful job i've ever had but you'd make like you know make four hundred dollars in a day five hundred dollars in a day and so i moved down here i've got all this cash and um you know i don't know it was like october 2013 when i moved down here yeah yeah. I, i don't know if i did like a google search or how i found it it was for like jazz clubs in north carolina i didn't know anything about durham okay mm, yeah about durham. so we moved to durham actually the first time we drove around i was like what's up with this town like <laughs> i want to live here and it wasn't because you know people think of durham as like a rough place that wasn't it at all because i lived in um i mean i lived in baltimore for eight years so you live in baltimore you you know rough I will, unless I go to like Afghanistan, right? I mean, I'm not, it's, yeah, I'm not, it wasn't that it didn't feel rough to me at all. It was, it's just kind of like a weird, like if you're going to move somewhere, like across the country, right? If you walk around, at least at this point in time, this is now seven years ago, if you just walk around Durham, it's like, what is up with this town? Like, what is it? What's going on? What does it have happening, you know, for it? And I looked up, jazz clubs in durham and there was this place called bu cafe that did a um i don't know if they called it an open mic or a jam session or what they called it um so i was thinking like cool this will be like the brattleboro jazz center right and it'll be like a place to sort of try out what i can do and i went um i think i played the first time i went and i was really bad (laughs) really 
yeah, it was not good at all. And the difference, um, so the first night I went, the drummer was Kobe Watkins is the drummer. And he, um, you know, Kobe Watkins is a really great drummer and he's played for really famous people. And I didn't know who he was before I went to that jam session, but you could, you could tell, right. This was, I was like, wow, this is, um, this is different. And I don't know who was playing the piano. It might've been Ernest Turner playing the piano, right. It, um, and the guitarist was Russell Favre who plays for, um, like Rhapsody and Zoo Crew and Oh shit. Ninth Wonder. So he was that like the house guitar player. Yeah. And he I mean he wasn't he was really good even back then, but it wasn't like he was like, oh wow, like um it was I mean he, I could tell he was he knew what he was doing and he was better than I was, but he wasn't like he is now. You know, this is again a long time ago. And the bass player was Kenny Phelps McEwen, who I've played with a bunch since that time, but um it was it was different you know it, it it wasn't like vermont because not only was i not very good i could really tell that i wasn't good because everyone around me was really good mm. and um and that that was it and then the it wasn't so much going to play it was that the trio um the house group would play a few songs at the beginning of each uh set right and then for the last song every night they get like sort of like the a team to play and i don't know what the other people who would who used to go to that would think of like the people that were there but i'm gonna tell you i mean for me it was a very special thing i was like this is fucking cool and i want to do it mm -hmm. you know and i'm not even i'm not really close but i really want to do it and i you know i wasn't in school Pretty much everyone that was going there was uh, at NCCU at North Carolina Central. Yes. Or had graduated from music school, either UNCG or NCCU. Um, but like, okay, for example, like on a given night, you would go there and there might be a good band. Um, you might see like, uh, so Lynn Grissett, who played trumpet for Prince, right? He would be playing trumpet, right? Just like hanging out. Wow. Um, my friend Dan Stark, who went, um, wound up starting this place called The Shed. I don't know if w we should probably talk about. Man, how long do we have to talk about all the boring minutia of my fucking. <laughs> I don't really put a time on these, man. Those is interesting. I'm good. The Daniel White Show is proudly sponsored by Lucky House MFG. Lucky House is an eco-friendly screen printing and design studio with over 10 years of experience in the industry. They offer high-quality custom printing services, including apparel printing, graphic design, promo goods, and embroidery. Visit www.luckyhousemfg.com to get a quote and to learn more. So, um, you know, Dan, my friend Dan Stark, who was who started the shed, which became like the a, a place that people gathered to play. Um, he might be playing. Um, just really good people that really could make some real music and it was um it was just a really special thing i remember i saw ernest play with his trio at that time was kenny this um guy kenny that i mentioned and larry larry q drawn who's actually from greensboro i don't know if you know who that is Do you know i'm not sure who larry is so maybe i don't know maybe six or seven years ago if you lived in greensboro you might have known who larry was but 
anyway, really great, great musicians. And that was really, it wasn't so much the playing that made the impression on me. The playing was actually just mostly stressful, right? Really? <laughs> it yeah. Made, yeah. Made me hate myself. So I'd get up there and be like, man, you sound fucking sad. You know, it was the experience of not being able to do something. That's what the playing was, it was basically trying and not being able to do it. It was really the listening that made the biggest impression on me. Really? And yeah. And that would kind of inspire me to go home and you know maybe get a little bit further for next week yeah so listening to these musicians who i guess you would say are very experienced and very good not saying that you weren't but you know no, no, i wasn't i wasn't i mean it's not even like first of all i mean it's not like there's music if you're good at music you can do this i mean it's just different it's very different yes. so it's one to like sit and like record a solo like eddie van halen or something and it is completely different, right, to get up on stage and play a song. You know, one, two, three, four, go, play a song that, you know, you kind of know, mm -hmm. right? All you know is like the melody and the chords and like the, and everyone around you is playing it in a way that's not really familiar to you, right? It's right. like different and they're interpreting it in their own way. It's a completely different beast. It's just not the same thing. So, I mean, most people who play music, um can do that in some ways in some respects right like if you um if you play if you're a church musician right and you grew up playing in church like there would be certain like ways of playing that are familiar to you so you could you could make it up as you go along right mm -hmm. um but like from my background even with like whatever playing in high school jazz band such as as that was it wasn't anything that i could really really do maybe i'm selling myself short i don't know you are <laughs> yeah, it definitely did not feel like i could do it at all and um on some occasions i was gently informed <laughs> without even really having to be told that that i could not do it and it was not up to snuff like at all Ooh, um, so it's some harsh criticism not harsh at all it was actually very kind and very loving oh really I, oh yeah for sure so um yeah, on one occasion, the uh, Kobe Watkins ran the jam session, and I remember I just, I, I, it was a song that I should have known very well, and I didn't know it, and I sort of um, fucked up the melody, and it just, you know, it was ugly. I made something ugly, and I made them sit and play with me while I made something ugly, you know, and that's not, that's not fun. Oh, well, I mean, sure. And then afterwards, he was like, he's like, you gotta, you gotta go home and listen to this song more. <laughs> you have to go listen to this more. And then he's like, get Russell back up here. Oh, <laughs> no. It wasn't mean at all. I mean, it's just honest. I think people didn't understand what, I mean, he was, he said it in a respectful way, but he was just very honest with you. You needed to do some more work. You needed to practice more. So that's good. I mean, not everyone has that experience. I won't name names, but I mean, I've heard. <laughs> yeah a lot more wor uh, harsher oh, words yeah, yeah some and again younger and more uh, again the, the other thing that is it w was weird for me is that i was basically a fully formed adult person having this experience which has its own pitfalls right it's kind of hard to eat shit that much when you're like a, a grown man right and you suck yes. that much but um the flip side is you know I kind of, to a certain extent, I'd done some things in my life. I kind of knew who I was and I was, you know, I was an adult, right? A lot of the 
the other musicians, you know, and I had to remind myself this because for a long period of time, I mostly, you know, when I wasn't working or whatever, I mostly spent time with people that were in their early and mid twenties. And I would forget like yeah. Butler and Kasim are like, you know, I've known them for a while and they're like 26. Yeah. Not even. <laughs> I've known them since they were 19 years old. So the, it's different if you're that young too and a lot of people that were a lot more were younger than me and a little bit more um less fully formed let's say mm -hmm. received some much <laughs> some much harsher criticism but anyway and like i'm not trying to say that like durham jazz and durham is like the the biggest baddest thing because I'm, I'm talking about a group of maybe like let's say 10 or 11 to 15 people that are really good players that you might see um at that particular place which ended up not doing music anymore like any place that's like the place it, it they all go away you know yep they do they always go away so that that ended way sooner than i would have wanted it to and then um uh dan the guy I told you about dan stark started the shed and the shed became the place for i guess two years okay to hear shows and just go and connect with people yeah and I, I worked there a little bit with him for him, um, running shows and booking some shows. That's sick. That. Oh, and you know what else? I forgot to write this in my notes. What's but, up? Um, well, I'll let. Why don't you talk for a second? I'm like running out of breath. You're blah, good. Lying about Durham, but that was like that was like a little snapshot of when I arrived in Durham. What was it like? It was like um, it was really exciting and inspiring, and it was also really. I mean, I would get really uptight and really um disappointed in what i was able to do but i, I practiced a lot and um yeah yeah that was, that was durham when i moved there so durham for me is playing this kind of music i'm completely a product of of durham 100 like i couldn't really do anything like that music when i arrived there and to the extent that i can do it now it's only because of the people i met man uh, durham that's that's amazing. I love that you were exposed to such a variety of different people with different backgrounds and different experiences to kind of kind of form who you are. And I also want to give you some kudos on you being in your 30s and kind of venturing into this. I mean, you were doing it for years and years and years off and on, obviously, throughout, you know, time in Baltimore, Massachusetts, all that. But like for you to dive into it in your 30s, to me, is very impressive. Well, I'm just stupid, man. <laughs> like you said you, your challenges you like your challenges yeah, i mean are you fucking kidding me i mean anyone with any sense at all if they were me they would have been like all right let's be an accountant or something you know i have like a <laughs> i'm college educated i could have done all kinds of jobs right that probably would have made me a happier look at you how old are you you're like i'm 29 Oh, you're older than I thought, but still, right? This guy's got two podcasts, right? He's hustling. He's doing stuff. I, I just seem to keep picking things where the financial remuneration is virtually nothing, but which are also insanely difficult, <laughs> <laughs> guaranteed to increase the misery in my life. So I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me, but um, that, yeah, that's kind of the vibe. Like and um, it was, it is interesting being old yeah or older 
and trying to dive dive into that. Well, it's cool that you you seem to still connect with the different people there. So that's that's because I, I feel like some people are like, oh, that guy's in his thirties. Why is he even here? Like, you know, be very negative about it. But it seems like everyone was super cool. They might have they might have thought that, but um, I've never. Uh, let me tell you something, man. I um, I don't know what I thought about the South before I moved here, um, but. And people, you know, people say a lot of things. A lot of people have hangups about playing whatever that style of music, Black American music or jazz, whatever you want to call it. But um, because of the attitude surrounding it, right? Like the, the, the entry, the entry fee is very high. And the, um, you know, the reward, the, the work to reward ratio is pretty skewed for a long time. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So it really it creates a lot of pathologies in a lot of people, but I would say that the community, there's so many people that I like barely know. I know them from BU cafe and I know them from the shed who like, if I saw them in whole foods, they would like give me a high five and a hug. Yeah. Like, like kids, kids that I barely know. So like this whole group of people, like this community of musicians, just like, let me come and, and like, and participate. That's freaking awesome. Were you able to practice those songs that you weren't so great on and reperform them for um, that group again? And yeah, five hundred times. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, but then, but you know, then they would call a different song that I also didn't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you go and practice again for hours. Oh yeah, I, look, we could. We, if you have till 12 p.m., I can keep telling you stuff that I continue to fuck up. I mean, just to skip ahead a bunch, right? Yeah. To yeah. Move to Greensboro. Yeah, move to okay, come bring, bring it to Greensboro. So uh, yeah, I got um, I got you know I got married actually after I moved here, but I, the girl that I moved down here with kicked me out in the middle of a blizzard in 2015. Oh my she, God, are you serious? And, <laughs> yeah. Kick out is a little bit strong, but basically that that happened right so i was couch surfing and homeless in the middle of a blizzard on uh february 24th 2015 and about five months after that happened i developed a injury in both my arms so i couldn't play for about a year oh no yeah it was horrible it's like one of the darkest years of my life so during that time in there somewhere i met emily who's my wife now and we moved to um greensboro 2017 i think and we got married, I guess, like a year, October 2017. We got married in December of 2018, so about a year later. Oh, yes. But when I moved to Greensboro, um, Kasim and Butler, who were on the record who you met, they both lived here. And so that had been my group before. Oh, so you met them while you were in Durham? Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Oh, but they, hell yeah. They're from here. They're from. They went to UNCG. Yep. Yep. So still lived here when I moved here, so I could play with them. And then I guess in the last couple years, um, Charlie Hunter moved here. Right? Yes. You know. You know Charlie. I Hunter? do know Charlie. Yeah. Uh, Charlie. Well, I, f- I met him one time at a show, and um, you know, I when I was 15 years old, if you were like, who do you want to be when you grow up? It, Charlie Hunter, yes. no question, right? And I listened to one of his, I think his first album for Blue Note um, was called Ready, Set, Shango is mm-hmm. the name of the album. I've listened to it 
easily 500 times. <laughs> Hell yes. Right? And so I was like, this is amazing. Charlie Hunter lives in Greensboro. That's crazy. And I went to see a show of him and uh, Jeff Clapp. Do you know Jeff Clapp, the drummer? Mm. You probably maybe don't know him. But mm, I don't know him. There's him and a, and a saxophonist from uh, Canada called Peter Kankura. So one of the best shows, one of the best nights of live music I've ever seen. Really great, great music. And I got this drummer, um, Jeff. I asked him uh, maybe a couple months after that to play with us at um, at Cow, where I have a a weekly a weekly gig now. You play at Cow? Yeah, man. You didn't know that? Damn, did I know that? I don't think I knew that. Maybe I didn't know that. That's awesome. Uh, every well, every other week, it's kind of irregular, but there's it's either me or um, another guitarist, Eli Whitman. Um, I shuffle it around a little bit, but generally I, um, he does the every other week and I do every other week. So, um, yeah, I got Jeff to come in and start doing that with us. And Jeff's a great, great drummer. He's like, I think he's played on some soundtracks for Terrence Blanchard and <sighs> in New Orleans with Herlin Rat. He's a great, great drummer. And um, that was a learning curve. You know, he didn't like everything that I played. Right. And a very, very nice, very, you know, very chill way of saying it. But like, I think anytime you up the bar a little bit, right, you're going to run up against what you can't do. So that's just kind of been the story with playing this kind of music. And I think we were talking about this earlier, this idea that I think that people who do work at Wells Fargo, right, mm -hmm. they'll see you like um, taking pictures, right? or whatever and they're like wow he's doing what he loves that must just be the best you know and it's it is cool to do that but what they don't see is how you took 500 pictures and you liked well you actually tend to let how many pictures do you take in a session oh my gosh dude uh it's probably between between three and a thousand depending on <laughs> so I don't know. Well, I won't, I won't assume about what it's like for you, but what people don't see is they don't see all the shit that we don't like about what we make. Oh, dude. <laughs> right? Constantly. And that's like about, you know, a good 90% of what I play. I'm not that cool. Yeah, dude. <laughs> yes, absolutely. They don't see that. And they don't see like that constant struggle for that beautiful thing that you want. It's like right beyond your grasp and honestly i think some of my great heroes were still like that yeah i know that some of them were um west montgomery apparently didn't like to he couldn't listen to himself on record west montgomery's a great jazz guitarist like one of the greats um charlie hunter when i met him at that show told me that he or actually no never mind he said this on a podcast that i was listening to that at a certain point in his career, he just decided he didn't like what he was playing. Yeah, wow. That point was way after the point where I was listening to him, right? Like, I I loved that early stuff that he recorded, but he, he had some kind of thing where he's like, that's not what I want to be doing. And, um, you know, John Coltrane. John Coltrane, in, like, invented 10 different ways yes. of approaching music in the last 10 years of his life. Right from like 1957 when he, you know, basically stopped using drugs until 1967 when he died. He came up with like 10 different languages. He just kept like changing, you know, um, what he was doing. And like, 
I don't know. Um, I don't think people. He also practiced. Yes. All day. Literally all day. Every day, right? So, I've done that, right? I mean, is it the happiest I've ever been? I don't know that I would say that. I don't think as an artist you're going to be usually not going to be the happiest. <laughs> It's something, right? It's, it is it's, something, though. Yes, it's something. But like, if if you practice all day, right, you're just like like you're putting a knife on a whetstone, right? And you're the knife, right? And mm-hmm. the whetstone, I guess, right? You're just doing that all the time. Is that happy? I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure that's the right way to describe it. Maybe um, passionate. Maybe there's passion. But passion isn't always. I would definitely wouldn't say passion and happy is the same thing. Well, I think what it is is it's practice. Yes, and everything about being an an artist or a musician for me is practice. Yes, that's it, right? And then whatever comes out after that, that's what the the work is. But the actual thing that I do is practice, and that's you know it's just so much of my life is that so it's a complicated thing and it's never going to end you're always going to be practicing it yeah. is never going to end. that's what people understand who are artists it's like yeah it seems great and glamorous and fun and it is but you're constantly learning constantly getting criticism constantly trying to just you know make genuine work and it's just, it's, it's very hard so it is hard and um I think a lot of people too say things like, like, oh, you just got to learn, you know, you got to um, just have fun, right? Like a lot of people will say that. Yeah. Like, oh, you're art, just have fun. Or you're making music, just have fun. I mean, I, um, I think that that is an important insight. And I think that what I've gotten a little bit better at doing is trying to remember that, especially when I perform. So practice is practice, performance is performance, right? Performance is not practice. Right. Like um, performances, I make music for people who want to hear music or I make my own music, whatever. Yes. Um, But um, I think just a part of you, if you're going to do that on any in any kind of serious way, is you have to just get to be okay with that process of refining what you're doing. Yes. And open that wasn't, you know, a. You know, I, I, I haven't been doing that since I was young, like a lot of the people I know. So that's been another thing that's been kind of unique about coming to it at a later age is that um, it's been interesting to look at that aspect of it and sort of take on that struggle um, at, I don't know, at my advanced years or whatever. Do you feel like you need to rush your learning because you are older or do you still find yourself being pretty patient with it? Um, that's a good question. I don't, I don't generally feel like I need to rush. Well, you know what? Um, I think that practice has its own pitfalls and its own challenges. One of which is the desire to get really good in a hurry. I'm sure you've experienced that. Mm, Yes. Um, where, when, what we need to do is like hone the fundamentals, um, playing with Jeff, the drummer that I mentioned was really great for me in that regard because he really emphasized that it should feel a certain way and it's easy to get caught up especially if you play this kind of music with um i don't know being creative right being inventive Mm -hmm. novel or unique 
um, harmonies or sounds or, you know, playing really hip, complicated harmonies or lines or whatever. And he really emphasized just time and feel. It has to feel a certain way, first and foremost. Yes. Um, that forced me to just do, try to get a lot better at doing very simple things. And that has been really big for me. But I have to work at remembering to do that. I'm starting to wonder what this is going to be like to listen to. I mean, <laughs> I love it. To me, well, your listeners, <laughs> but it's at all interesting. But what I like about podcasts like this, and that's why I kind of like, I don't really put a lot of, I guess, guidelines to this. I seen, obviously, I sent you questions, but I want it to feel like we're sitting in a room just having a casual conversation and someone happens to walk by and listen to it, you know, and this is. This is what it is. You know what I'm saying? You know, what's interesting is that, um, again, another part about being a little bit older is I don't, you know, I'm not sitting around smoking weed with the people that I play music with. Right. So I don't, they're probably talking about this shit all the time. I actually rarely get to talk about it. And I rarely get to talk about it with someone who kind of understands what it is. <laughs> you know, so it's actually kind of great for me. I'm finding it very therapeutic. I hope it makes for good listening. No, it sounds like you're very comfortable, which is all I which is what I hope, you know, every guest feels is very comfortable and, you know, I'm glad you're having a good time with it. It's good. Yeah, that's definitely part of your vibe. You uh are a comforting presence for sure. You and uh Chris, Chris Hilbert. Dude, I love Chris Hilbert. Chris I is Chris side, side note, I've been in the studio with a few handful of different bands with Chris and it's always a fantastic time. Yeah. Chris, Chris makes you, I mean, you make me feel like I look good and Chris makes me feel like I sound good, you know, and uh, not everybody, <laughs> I can't even do that for myself. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Um, that's actually, actually before we get to the, your session with Chris, cause obviously I was there. I want to talk about, obviously jazz it's a very broad term. You, there's a lots of different kinds of jazz. So the jazz you play, how are you able to, I guess, hone in on a style that you like and why? Um, well, I think when you, so you hear something like, um, I don't know, Sonny Rollins or Ornette Coleman or whatever. And you're like, that, that's cool. I want to do something like that. And to get the kind of the, when you go to like a jam session, you're going to be playing in a certain way. Like you'll play a standard, right? Of uh, a song that's commonly known. And um, the style or the way that it's played will just be dependent on who's there. So you're not necessarily practicing or learning to play what you want to play or what you want to hear, mm. right? You're learning how to do a certain thing, kind of get some skills to speak a certain language in a certain way. Roughly, I don't know. It's hard to say what exactly it is, but it's roughly swing. Yeah, yeah. Right? That Whatever it is, people don't like to say jazz anymore because the first use of the word jazz was... Um, uh, the original Dixieland jazz band. Really? Yeah, I think it was a white cornetist. I think his name was Nick LaRocco. You'd have to Google it, but yeah, it was a white oh, Nick and called the original Dixieland jazz band. That's the first commercial use of the word jazz. Wow. And 
this you know, it was it's like appropriation right like so if you listen to lewis armstrong or from the hot five stuff like that and then you listen to the original dixieland jazz band it's it's not you know it's not really the same i mean it so people don't like the the connotations of the word oh it's like a, it's like a thing if you follow jazz instagram <laughs> like, you're, like it's a raging thing but it's a real thing you know so like we talked about how did jazz become synonymous with music pedagogy that's also a nefarious and an evil twisted tale right having mostly to do with um appropriation of uh, a black musical art form so it's a, it's a deep topic but basically whatever that music is uh swing um the music of charlie parker the music of louis armstrong ornette coleman sonny rollins and that's all different right it's all different music so you're kind of trying to get conversant with a style or a genre or an idiom whatever um well at the and then if, at some point hopefully what happens is that you turn around and you realize that the people the people that really inspired me in this music were very original and different with what they were doing mm. and this is the thing that you tend to lose it's kind of one of the reasons i'm not really super sad i didn't go to music school because there are some definite pluses and i've definitely suffered from missing out on those but there are some definite cons and one of the cons is that you begin to view it this thing that you're studying is kind of like a monolithic thing with a lot of continuity that doesn't really exist right wow. yeah. and you kind of begin to view it in this way that's a little bit of a distortion so thelonious monk right yes it, you know it very different yes right? to like say the least his language it's not the language of like bud powell and charlie parker it's different it's idiosyncratic actually ernest said to me once that he a lot of thelonious monk comes from um duke ellington right but i mean i can't necessarily hear that i mean i'm not a i don't know as much about piano as as ernest turner does always but like that um you know ornette coleman is very at, at the same time he's like he plays blues when he solos like mm -hmm. if you listen to a lot of his solos he's playing like a blues scale <laughs> but it's very different so like a lot of and charles mingus right different very different not like when you hear it you're like oh this is like cookie cutter if you looked up jazz in a musical dictionary and listened to it or whatever i mean this is not what you would be hearing necessarily so um i think hopefully but all of those people ornette coleman less so although he started out in like sort of like rhythm and blues bands all those people came up learning this kind of shared practice so I think the the thing that you're trying to do when you step into, I guess, really any kind of music with this kind of music more, because there is this way of learning it that kind of tends maybe a little bit too much towards uniformity. You have to kind of learn it and imitate, but then at a certain point you have to turn around and you have to think to yourself, okay, I want to make some music that's my music now. And And when you do that, you're like, you know, you're in a band basically for lack of a better word like i'm gonna turn around now i'm gonna have a band i'm gonna write songs for this group i'm gonna make a thing that is not maybe part of this you know 
it's not it's not a distillation of my jazz education right it's music and i'm going to use these tools that i've learned to make music so um that's been the the thing that um the i guess the past couple of years have been about for me and to be honest with you i think i've done pretty well with that part i definitely agree and part of the reason for that is a i didn't go to music school mm -hmm. and i don't feel i don't i don't you know i don't really have those like uh teacher slash mentors that a lot of people do in, in the same way you know I, I i wouldn't necessarily regard the people that have taught me as being in that role for me so i didn't feel beholden to anyone i didn't feel like it had to sound any kind of certain way it was really just about what do i hear and what do i think sounds cool and and having you know two thousand or so dollars <laughs> you know <laughs> just a few simple <laughs> details so having you know being able to plunk down the money to do it and um spending that time to be honest with you a lot of the time that i couldn't play i spent writing music and listening and transcribing so just having the audacity to be like okay i can't really play the guitar but you know i can play my i can play my music better than anyone so i'm gonna make that music Dude. And uh, I think I've done, I actually feel pretty good about having done that. Yeah. Also, I was going to ask, how, how do you, it seems like you're very happy with it, you know, and even seeing you with, seeing you in the studio, I could tell that you're very content playing what you play, which is very cool to see. Oh, I loved recording it. I hate doing shows because no one comes to them. Like when I play <laughs> my own music, if I get like, I'm lucky if I get 10 people, like if I play at Sharp 9, I played at Sharp 9 Gallery in Durham a couple of times. If I get like 10 people to come out, I, you know that I called five of them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Came, you gotta go. Hopefully when COVID is over and um, as it hopefully will be sooner rather yes, than later. That scene. Um, and um, then we will, uh, you know, we're going to do a show in Greensboro, obviously. And I, I don't need to make money on it. I just hope that I can get a lot of people out. You know, and, uh, I um. I just, when I played my own shows, um, it's just tough. Like if I'm doing um, the best ones that I've done, actually we did one in Charlotte with a band called Ghost Trees and there were like three bands on the bill and it was like a normal, like you go to a punk club and see three punk bands. It was kind of like that. It wasn't like a normal jazz concert at all. And that was good. There's a lot of people there, really good crowd. When I try to do my own shows and it's just me, it's been a lot tougher. It's, unless it's something like, like the O'Henry Hotel, right, or a, a bar where um, I kind of know what they want and I deliver kind of what the audience is kind of expecting. If it's my music and I'm doing my shit, that's just been a real struggle. And you mean... I also, I also haven't been doing it that long, so... Right, exactly. Now, that's one I also wanted to reiterate. You haven't been doing it for a long time, so I understand why you would feel that way for sure. But I still, you know, applaud you for still doing it, you know. And when you say by yourself, you mean literally just you? Like No, no, no. Like like say the band. Okay, the band. band. Okay. I didn't know if you meant like just you and your guitar. Okay. Um no when I'm trying to play my songs. So I, you know, I pay my band or at least try to pay them. So there's that additional pressure, like you have to support the people that are working with you. Um it's not a very popular form of music just 
period, you know, like, um, even if you're uh, really, really good at it, it's still going to be a struggle. And I'm not saying I'm really, I'm not, I'm not really, really good at it. I love the music that we made. I love the way the record sounds. I mean, I continue to my own playing. It's like, whatever, you know, it's, it's a work in progress, but I was, I did a good job of taking what I could do at that particular point in my life and making some good music with it that has meaning for me and that I think people will will dig. That's a good that's a good segue. So meaning for you, obviously you told us why you play what you play, but are you trying to convey any type of feeling or storytelling with your music? Um so I think that music it can be really different things for different people. Um, different listeners, different musicians. I don't think it's one thing. You know, yeah, so that's yeah. The story of my thought about that. So like when I listen to George Benson, right? Um, like let's say I'm in the kitchen. Okay. And I want to, uh, I want to feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll listen yeah. to, I'll listen to um, Giblet Gravy, right? Okay. And it, it makes you feel good, you know? And it's, 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 um, You know, and I've heard interviews, people might be, I don't know, maybe people will be surprised that I'm name checking George Benson, but like every guitarist knows that like George Benson is this shit, right? This is like a, you know, most people will be like, oh, George Benson, the guy who did Breezin. Um, but, you know, it, it, when you listen to that, he's, um, it just, it feels good. It's comforting, right? It's comforting and also exciting. Um, when I listen to... Um, the Miles Davis second quintet, right? Like live at the plug nickel. If you've never heard these things, you could just Google them and you'll hear what I'm talking about. I don't feel, uh, I'm not going to listen to that while I make my chicken, you know? <laughs> not not going to put you in the mood. <laughs> no, it's more like when I listen to that, it's like someone opened up a door that um, I didn't even know was there, right? And, um, and they're like, look at, look at what we found in this musical universe, mm -hmm. look in here. And you're like, oh shit. Like, oh, Tony Williams. Oh, metric. Whoa. Holy, whoa. Holy you know? shit. What Wayne shorter. That is a completely different thing. And to me, because I'm weird, those are both important and they both um, are one's not better than the other. I gravitate more towards the second one just because I'm a masochist, right? And I like to go new places that are hard to go. I want to make discoveries, right? I want to, um, you know, I want to find those doors for myself, you know? And that's what, um, like, intellectually, aesthetically, that's what I gravitate towards in music. Absolutely. So, you know, my heroes are all those those people. But when I want to feel good, right? Yes. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I, I, you know, there's some people that actually can do both. And it's kind of amazing. I don't know. Do you listen to Nina? So are you, are you, a, you do listen to jazz. I've seen you yes. at the Henry Hotel. I listen to jazz. So like, um, like Nina Simone's yes. first album um, is, like if I had to spend the rest of my life on a desert island with one record 
I would pick that one. Really? Why to is me, that? Actually, it act, because it actually does both. It makes you feel, I guess, that happiness and the like. It actually does both. Yeah, it makes me feel completely comforted and happy. But the way that she, the kind of musician she is, is very like, you know, check this out. You didn't think I was going to do this contrapuntal Bach in the middle of this blues, did you? And like, when I hear that, I'm like, that is, I mean, that's, that's fucking cool. I don't, but there's, I mean, how many people are there that can do, but I mean, Duke Ellington, maybe a little bit, you know, some, you know. Bach, Mozart. There's like some people that can really do both. Um, some, I think, most people are more on one, on one tip or the other, right? I'm gonna actually send you a, a list of new musicians I've found recently that kind of do that for me. Oh, hit me! Yeah, absolutely. After this is done for sure. Um, but yeah, I want to talk about your experience creating the album that obviously is not out yet, but I still want. Just kind of tapping on a little bit. We're going to come back later when the album's actually out and talk some more. Oh, I would love to. Yeah, because I want to get you and um, and uh, Butler and Kasim in the same room. Maybe even Chris as well, because you mentioned doing maybe a, a listen through. Yeah, it would be kind of, we could do a, it would be kind of fun to, we want to do a listening party at Legit Biz. If we could combine all of those events, yeah. CD release, listening party, Daniel White podcast. To do it live. Five kinda, birds, one stone. That'd be freaking sick. But yeah, so don't go too deep into it because we're going to re- obviously come back to this later on. But obviously recently you were just in the studio and created a beautiful work. Um, so how was that experience for you? It was great. Um, the uh, I almost didn't do it. I almost thought like the band wasn't ready or it wasn't going to sound that great. And um, I didn't want to stress myself out over the holidays. So I'm so, oh my God, if I hadn't done it then, I would be sitting through this entire, you know, quarantine pandemic thing with no record, you know, (laughs) with fucking idea of a record. And instead I had this thing that, you know, I'm like, okay, phew, we did that. And it sounds great. And the, um, we were still learning how to play the music when we made it. I don't know if that's even that uncommon. It doesn't sound, uh, doesn't sound like we've been playing it for a million years but in a good way and um i'll just say this about it both of the guys that played on the record kasim and butler um i love everything that they did mm-hmm. right i mean i it's i just i could i listen to it again and again i'm like that sounds so fucking good i don't love everything that i did but you know whatever you could have typical musician yeah i mean that is what it is and then the songs didn't come out exactly like I heard them when I wrote them, but in most cases they were better. Um, Chris is, uh, let me, I'll just, maybe we could wind down by talking about just sort of the meaning of living in Greensboro to me. Like yeah, living so it- in Greensboro is really like people like you and Chris. And I don't know, it's just my experience here where I've just found like, you know, like good people. Yeah, yeah. They're good at things, you know. Um uh and Chris is just definitely one of those people. He was kinda like a, a member of the band. He just he met with me and he's like, What kind of what do you like? What do you like the sound of? And I said, I like uh I like um well I like records from this label ECM, which is a German label. Um, 
stands for edition of contemporary music but it's like a german label that does kind of like out or like more um more arty jazz records and it's not even the music so much it's more the sound of the records is something i really like even like to the the way that the snare is tuned mm. on the records like the way that they um he could just hear so much in the sort of references that i gave him and he just killed it man i mean he was it's such a special experience i think anyone who's ever been in a studio knows this experience of like sitting a, in a control room and actually hearing what shit sounds like for real you know it's it's everyone should have that experience everyone should be able to hear some music that they really love through speakers that dude cost lots of money you know it, it, everyone should have that yes Dude, shout out to Chris. I remember um, this is very off, off topic. Of, I think a band called Advent was a recording there, and I was sitting with Chris hanging out, and he has these crazy, awesome headphones um, that you can hear live through. So um, they were replaying some of the songs and riffs they had written, and I put those on, and you're exactly right, dude. Hearing music with a very expensive gear is just a whole different level of awesome. <laughs> you could do a podcast just on that i mean i have had some really great experiences in north carolina really with um some real deep audiophiles and chris is definitely one of those people so the, i mean the studio is the studio is interesting because it's basically a concrete box yep he's never going to get the people that you know are going to go to whatever manifolds or um you know he, he's not going to get a certain crowd but um, his, I mean, to me, the studio is about him. He's got some really amazing equipment. I don't really know that much about equipment, so that's kind of meaningless to me, but I know that he's got good stuff. But to me, it's really just about him, his ears, and um, his approach. So it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. Um, Hell yeah. Would do again. 10 out of 10, A+. Plus. Well, I hope you do do it again, man. We need to hear more music from you, bro. Yeah, I um I would like to focus pretty hard after um when people get out and get playing again. I need to um I um I've applied for some grants and stuff just to try to help me get out there and get on the road a little bit and actually perform. Um, so, but yeah, I have a head full of of songs for another record. I would love to make another record, but you know, first things first, I guess. Yes, but yeah, like I said, we'll come back and talk more detail on that record back when it's closer to come or closer when it's when it's gonna come out. Um, but back to you because I want to talk about your um, the lessons you teach because obviously you're a guitar teacher. Yeah. So let's just shine some light on that. Just a little plug for all my shit. Yeah. So, JimmyGilmoreMusic.com <laughs> is uh, you can learn about um, what I'm doing, and I also teach. I teach uh, private lessons and I teach at a place in Durham called Walltown uh, Children's Theater, which is mainly a dance school, but they also do um, music and theater and and uh, guitar. And I've been doing that over Zoom since uh, COVID started, and I've been teaching private lessons over Zoom. My teaching website is jamesgilmoreguitarstudio.com. And um, that, again, is a whole another huge topic. Um, I really like teaching. I've had a lot of success with helping people kind of uh, get some skills the kind of stuff that i teach people it's very rare for me to be teaching um 
the kind of music that I play to someone else. Mostly, I'm not the first person that someone would ask for that, right? Um, like, if I was going to get a jazz guitar lesson, I would go to, like, Greg Heislip, right, who's the guy who teaches at UNCG, or mm. Scott Sawyer and Raleigh, and I have gone to both of those people. Um, that being said, I have taught some people who, actually, Scott Sawyer which I took as a very great compliment has recommended me to some of his students. And I've taught some people sort of like the rudiments or like my approach to playing jazz. That's been cool. Mostly what I'm working on with, with people is uh, how to do singer songwriter shit, right. Or how to mm -hmm. like, um, how to just get some basic skills so that they can start enjoying music. That's actually hugely fun because they wind up being i don't really do that right i don't write songs i hate words I'm, i suck at words <laughs> yes yeah, same but like you know i've helped people write songs that are really awesome that's kind of amazing yes right? badass. now they're doing something that i can't do that sounds rad or if i'm teaching like 14 and 15 year old kids how to do versions of like songs on Spotify that I've never heard of that have like 25 million plays, right? That's, it's always some shit that I've never heard of that, you know, has like 1 billion plays and they're like, I want to learn this. And it's like the simplest shit that you've ever heard. And then I'll teach them how to do that and they'll get it because it's not that hard to do. And then just watching people totally own something that like, maybe like a week ago they're like oh I, I wish that someday i could play this whatever mac demarco song or whatever and like helping them do that Fuck and yeah. then just watching them crush it is really really amazing so i love teaching it's basically how i make my living um i'm always looking for more students and i love you know i love teaching um and that's a big part of my life dude Fuck yes. Obviously, we can talk for a bajillion more hours, and I plan on having you more. I plan on having you back on this show as the years go by. Um, obviously, you're going to be back on soon for the record because people people need to hear um, the process on that. You know, with are, all... you, are you going to be here for years? I always worry that all the people <laughs> <in> Greensboro <laughs> are going to move. You know, I've had ambitions of moving from Greensboro since 2014. And mostly it's been me being scared to actually do it. But, you know, being around people who are able to live their dreams out and still live in this city, you know, I'm not. If I move, great. If I don't, I'll be okay. Cool. You know, so I could be here, could be not. But I know if I have to fly back here to do, you know, a session <laughs> with you, then I will. <laughs> but nah, for now, I'm right here, man. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm good. But heck yeah, dude. This has been wonderful. Yeah, likewise. Really fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. you and like I said, you'll, you'll be back on here. And people, if you want guitar lessons, you can do it virtually th through Zoom um, through the remainder of COVID, which hopefully will be over soon. Um, the UK is getting vaccines out to the masses next week. Um, fingers crossed. So fingers crossed for the US by hopefully the end of winter. Grandpa um, Joe Biden's going to fix it, man. Yes, please, Joe Biden. If you're listening to this podcast, please do it. <laughs> The world misses everything. <laughs> um, but yes, dude, hit James up. He's an amazing guy. Um, is there still a campaign for the record? No, that's all wrapped up. Okay, it's all over. 
you send me an email and PayPal me $15, I'll put you on the, the list for the record. Um, or you can just buy it when it comes out. Yes, um, I need to actually do that. So I'm going to do that too, um, for you after this is over. Um, but yes, dude, thank you. This is amazing. I love you so much. You're amazing. I love you so much. Yeah, so stay on the line. I'm going to end the um, recording, but stay on. Hold on a second. And obviously, everyone listening, um, support the podcast, subscribe, review, rate, and all that stuff, and support all the sponsors that are on the show. Buy High Brew Coffee because they pay my bills and stuff. Um, much love. All right. Bye.